0: Hi, and welcome to the Fempire Podcast, where we feature the latest updates in tech and awesome women in tech. This podcast is brought to you by This Labs, a JavaScript consultancy focused on changing the ratio. Hire us. Visit this labs.
1: Hello, my name is Eva, and welcome to another episode of the Fempire Podcast. Um, we are doing these podcasts in order to chat with super interesting women in tech and just talk have a conversation around women in tech in general. And today we have Michelle with us. Michelle, I'm gonna totally butcher your last name, so I'm gonna let you
0: introduce yourself. (laughs) sure, for sure, thank you. It's a pleasure to to chat with you. I'm Michelle Cantos, and I'm the director of the Grace Hopper Program at Full Stack Academy. Yay,
1: I'm so glad you could join us (laughs) for a fun Friday afternoon. So Michelle, tell us a little bit about what you do at Grace Hopper um, and about the program in general, because it's a really cool program.
0: Yeah so the Grace Hopper program, um, it's housed at Full Stack Academy. We're a coding bootcamp teaching full stack javascript in 17 weeks. Um, What makes Grace Hopper so special is that it is um, specifically designed for women and non-binary folks. So we created an inclusive supportive learning environment that is um, really welcoming of a big demographic of people who are not that represented in tech. So it's um, um, women plus, and we also do not charge any upfront tuition costs, um, so it's uh, inclusive financially as well. So folks who would not have been able to take this um, financial risk and invest in it, their education this way can do it through our program. Um, they don't pay tuition until they graduate and have gotten a job. So we're um, we're training folks in great skills, we're providing a, a great collaborative environment, an inclusive collaborative environment, and we're also partnering with them um, during the job search to make sure they, they actually make it into a tech job. Um, my role is a really, really cool one. I, um, as director, I manage the overall health of the program, which means a ton of things. But um, essentially, I lead a team of um, software engineers who act as instructors and teach our curriculum. Um, I work with our managers and um, with, you know, it's a cross-functional team of folks that um, ensure everything um, is running smoothly here. But I um, I lead this team to make sure we're providing a top educational experience um, and it's really really uh inspiring work that's amazing uh tell me a little bit about your background have you always been in tech or is is this an, a new thing for you yeah so i think i've been tech adjacent but i can certainly give you some um some input to that i think most these days everyone's kind of tech adjacent at some point and their industry either becomes tech as well or they make that switch so um, yeah, I love talking about my background. I actually started out, um, I studied public relations and international relations. I've mostly worked um, in nonprofits, profits um, non-profit work um, across the globe. So I've worked with philanthropists, executives, um, founders to um, create and run uh, education initiatives. Um, and that's how I got into tech, because we were working with um, several folks from underrepresented backgrounds. Um, with universities around the world, and one of the number one things I noticed was none of them were going into the high paying fields of tech and finance, um, the fastest growing industries. And so um, I, because of that, just became very interested in the technology industry and um, all the financial and growth opportunities that are there and that a lot of folks, women, people of color, um, folks from uh, all sorts of backgrounds aren't taking advantage of or don't feel welcome in, and so they're missing out on um, the fastest growing industry. So um, through that work, I just got involved with other nonprofits that were focused on increasing the tech talent pipeline, um, one of them being New York on Tech. I was also working with the Sandbox Network, which is a global entrepreneur Um, network a lot of folks in tech. And so um, I figured I would marry my skills of program management, design, working with executive teams to launch education programs, but to focus on tech um, and diversity and inclusion. So, um, you know, to anyone who thinks they can't join tech because they're in nonprofit, they're in education, you know, whatever field you're in, there's a tech aspect to it. And particularly for folks who care just about access, inclusion, um, the gender gap, the pay gaps, um, there, there's definitely a place for you in tech. I have all of my colleagues at Full Stack and Grace Hopper. We have people in the marketing team, the admissions teams. We attract a lot of um, educators, engineers, just people who are just good managers. Um, and then, of course, all of our technical staff who are, are the backbone of um, what we teach. But um, yeah, I think um, these days, this is not an unusual background to enter tech at all.
1: No, I completely agree. Um, I, I mean, obviously, at this dot, we are also really, really interested in diversity and inclusion and getting women um, into their first job as a programmer, because we feel we just, we see it all around us that these technical teams are made up of men and nobody from underrepresented groups. Yeah. And so that's really one of our passion projects to get that changed it probably will take most of you in my lifetime in order mm-hmm. to get there, but we'll, we'll keep working
0: at it. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so, we're and, building out the first, um, you know, so we've got to start somewhere. I'm, I'm excited to be part of that. Me too. And I actually, I have
1: a, I switched to, uh, I'm a lawyer by trade and, um, I did democratic politics in Washington, DC for a while. Oh. And, uh, practiced law and tried cases and was a litigator and did the whole nine yards. And then uh, we moved out to California. I was in D.C. and um, I had kids. And then I was like, you know, I just this law thing. I'm not doing this So, um, and my husband is in tech. So we, right. I, I hear a lot about it. So that was kind of helped that transition. So yeah. I completely agree. It's, it can be done. You just have to decide to do it. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. Um, What would you say is your biggest challenge
0: um, for getting into tech? um, So for some of our students, I think um, it's several things, right? I don't want to start with imposter syndrome, but I'm going to start with imposter syndrome. But I'm going to break it it down a little bit more. Um, So it's not just believing like I, as an individual, you know cannot do this one thing i've never done before it's it's so much deeper than that um we see folks so coding boot camps i'll I'll backtrack but coding boot camps really are designed for career changers they're designed for people who um are a couple years into their career and want to make that switch into technology they're designed for people who are retiring and want to find a new job they're designed for anyone who did is not already a technologist but has an interest they've been nurturing in their own free time we have folks who are former lawyers we're financiers we've had so many ballerinas there's i mean just like concerts of them um people from theater from music um sometimes we get even engineer like chemical engineers or um aerospace engineers um so these programs are all boot camps are designed for basically anyone who is not a technologist Mm -hmm. um so it's still fascinating that one of the number one things that prevents people from coming is like i don't have xyz background uh, because this is exactly what these programs are for, and I see it doubly impact women. Um, particularly, uh, so I, it's it's funny, the one thing I'm really, so of course ageism is, is one of the many um, reasons you might f- feel imposter syndrome, but the degree to which women feel it is pretty, um, it's, it's something that's really struck me in this job. Um, you know, I imagined that people in their 50s and 60s or people who've retired or who are, you know, 20, uh, years into their career would have a would, would of course face an imposter syndrome because it's a really big shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have folks who are 25 and just in their first or second job, um, thinking that they might be too old to transition that the tech field really just wants the genius 18 year old um, from Harvard, the, the Harvard dropout 18 year old. Um, and there's, it's, there's a reason why people think this, it's partly true. the like startups, Google, like all the hiring practices of, of major companies do reflect this media reflects this. Um, and so it's not that it's an unfounded fear. Um, but it, it is, um, it is a big thing that keeps folks from even fully jumping in, particularly women. Um, you know, am I too old? Am I too, instead of thinking, am I like too experienced and knowledgeable in my field, it's, am I um, not even going to be considered? Am I too set in my ways and in these things that um, are just not true because we've seen countless folks from all sorts of backgrounds um, and you know then it gets complicated when you are the only uh, woman of color, the only um, disabled person, the only, um, you know, someone from the LGBTQ plus community and, and so so I think Imposter syndrome—it it hits everyone. It hits our folks at Full Stack, our co-ed program. Um, it hits Grace Hopper. Um, but what's what's sadder sometimes is when there's like a couple of those different identities you have um, might contribute to even more imposter syndrome. So that's one big thing we see. Um, I think um, the reason we have deferred tuition at Grace Hopper, so no upfront cost, is is another. Um, another attempt at removing barriers to, to transitioning into tech. It is expensive. You know, if you're, if you already have college debt, uh, let's say $60, to dollars to $120,000 in debt for the university degree, you might not be that excited about committing almost $20,000 to uh, a new field, um, especially when there's rumors that, you know, it might not be the most welcoming to women um, mm-hmm. or to folks of color. Um, so um, so that's another, another big um, barrier, another challenge. Um, so I think overall, the challenge I face is um, both helping um, applicants figure out if this is the right step for them, because it, it isn't always, um, and then um, helping them cross that hurdle or, or identify and then overcome the hurdle that uh, might be stopping them from making that risk and doing so in a way that's ethical and supportive. And um, you know, this, boot camps are not for everyone. Just because um, you hate your job doesn't mean you need to do tech uh, or need to be a developer, um, so I think finding that balance of helping people educating um, um, really supporting and encouraging in ethical ways uh, those are some of the multiple challenges of like getting getting folks to to invest in themselves and, and, and reinvent themselves in a career in tech and how what do you say to them that helps them get over some of this? The imposter
1: syndrome being the big one. And and I can see like different things stacking up, right? Like being a woman, being a person of color, being a disabled person, like are, these things can like stack up and I suspect make it worse too.
0: Yeah, I think um, the best thing I advise is like do all your research. If you're skeptical, good. Leverage that and do your due diligence and make sure this is the right step for you. You are in control, right? You don't have to join a bootcamp, but you can do all the research. Um, so first of all, Find out if you love this. Um, Take a course on Code Academy. If you are not sleeping at night because you are trying to solve through this and uh, and, bored at work, that that could be a sign that this is something interesting to at least investigate. Um, Once you're interested, if you're nervous, do some prep work. Most boot camps have um, prep classes that you can take to support the admissions process. They're a bit cheaper. Um, Ours is almost free. We, We reimburse folks who then go through the program. So there's great ways for you to test the waters, learn. Um, the one thing I say is, you know, you don't have to commit to anything until you commit to it. So um, there's nothing wrong with spending your free time teaching yourself the basics of code, seeing if you like, um, seeing if you enjoy it, um, finding a mentor, going to women in in tech events and and meeting others and learning from their experiences. Um, And you don't have to commit right away, you have time. Um, it's an important decision, so take your time. Uh, there's no need to take a compulsive um, action um, and use that skepticism for good, like use it to do your due diligence and find the right environment for you. Not every bootcamp is structured the same. Um, something we pride ourselves in is of course having this woman environment, having a collaborative environment, um, being very keenly aware of imposter syndrome and where it can play out when we take tests or build projects and making sure we're supporting our folks through that. So. Um, if that's something you feel like you're going to struggle with an environment like ours could be a good one. If you thrive in really competitive, um, environments where you're pitted against someone, there might be a different environment that's good for you. So you should really just, um, self-analyze, do your due diligence, find the right place for you. Um, and you know, you can wait to pull that trigger until you have all that information. But I think, so that's just kind of at a, a high level when folks are like, should I even learn to code? Right. <laughs> um, cause that's one question we get. And then we also get the folks who have been self-teaching. They know quite a bit. Maybe they've been doing some basic web design and they've been um, building some projects on their own, but they want to take it to the next level and quickly uh, because maybe they're not being promoted or um, Or they really need accountability. So boot camp will be a helpful step in their learning um, process Um, to those folks who are are battling with imposter syndrome. I would say um, Let's look for some people who can inspire you who look like you. So let's see all the Latina or Black women or um, members of the LGBT community who've gone through boot camps, talk to them, learn from them, figure out what their hurdles were. Um, They might want to mentor you or or kind of just stay in touch and um, help during the job search since they're already done with the boot camp and and employed. Um, You know, find people like you to to reassure you that it can be done, to be inspired by them, to. kind of the carrot on the stick, like that could be me six months from now if I make this transition. They did it, um, you know, I certainly can. I'm definitely, you know, there might not be legions of us, but there are there are some people out there and, and we can learn from them. So um, I think it's a combination of things, um, but it is a very personal journey. I think most people who come to boot camps are they're wanting to make a big career pivot. There's a lot at stake. Um, and hopefully we're helping them in that process, figure out whether this is the right move for them or not.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that makes sense a lot. Um, What do you think about the current statistics which show that women are still under underpaid in tech in comparison to men? And how have you encountered those dealt with
0: those? What's your experience around that? So we definitely have a salary negotiation session that is specifically targeted toward women. Um, we do this before they leave the program. So they have all the right tools and they can enter the job search process with the right mindset, asking the right questions up front, um, setting themselves up for success and not wasting time with employers who are not interested in um, equal pay. Um, so that's one thing uh, that we are very proactive about and then our folks do, um, they work. So our students aren't really done with us once they leave the program. Once they leave, they're working uh, with our career coaches who are supporting them through you know, balancing multiple offers, figuring out which one to accept, doing the negotiations. So they're not alone. Um, And I think that's one of the first things that um, all of us struggle kind of silently with our job searches and with our salary negotiations, because it's very delicate, even going to your best friend and your aunt or cousin about how much they're making is really tough, especially if you don't know that many people in tech. Um, So I I think that's one thing we like to very, to structure very well. Um, But of course, it's there. And it's, invisible and sometimes you don't even know it's there until you find out by accident. Um, uh, That's where I think, um, what I, uh, so I'll I'll backtrack a little bit, but something that, one of the reasons why it's really important for me to get more women into tech is that um, there's a a wage gap across fields, across the board. um, And one, this isn't the solution, but it's just a reason I think women should consider this career path and figure out if it's the right or not for them. Um, because, you know, an educator, just a teacher will make maybe 30 or 40,000 and they're kind of capped at how much their salary can grow unless they become, they get a master's and become a principal, but there's still a cap and a very limited cap to how much you can earn over a lifetime in certain fields that are not as fast growth. In tech, your starting salary can be 85 to 95,000 at a small company, can be 130,000 at one of the major um, tech firms. So, um, you know, I definitely don't have all the answers for tackling the wage gap in tech, but I think um, as someone who's in a boot camp, helping people transition into tech, um, for me, the, the the combating that overall wage gap is a is a really important point. Um, if you're coming from the arts or education, nonprofit, I myself come from nonprofit and know how little it pays, even if the work's really awesome. Um, this is one way to really, you know, twofold or threefold increase your salary, and that's uh, a better starting position for then negotiating equality um, uh, I think once in tech it's not just up to individual women to to fight for their salaries it's um, this is where I would implore like people who are managers and directors and people in HR to be responsible and um, integrity driven um, and invest in what actually matters because you know if you're swindling someone for one or two thousand dollars and paying their counterpart little bit more just because they negotiated like no have structured salary bands and if people have the you know you hr is in control of that um especially at major firms where you are hiring um you're hiring in mass you're hiring for the same role across different teams there's just no reason where a large company that should be happening Mm -hmm. um smaller companies i think face this a little bit more because they're sometimes they don't have hr they're just and and they don't have enough team members they're hiring quickly and the mail um of course negotiated more than the woman um but again i think that's where we can all um act with integrity and um and have salary bands and be mindful and if um if a woman didn't negotiate um you know i've definitely um i don't know i think there's there's good ways for managers to give advice that is still you know you you shouldn't i don't know how to say this in in a correct pc way um I think anytime I've interviewed, I've, if I've really liked a candidate, I've told them, you know, be very sure of what you want. Be sure to ask for it. Don't be afraid. Um, it is a negotiation, and I don't want to put all our cards out there. But you know, I'm not HR. I don't care. Um, I want my staff to be well paid so that they're happy here, yeah. um, and I want to advocate for them. So I think that's where a hiring. So I'm not HR, but I'm a hiring manager. I have a team. Um, that's a place where I can advocate and make sure my staff are 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 being. Um, compensated also once you're already on my team um if i know the salary bands and there's inequity i think it's it's my duty to take a look at that yeah um, and correct it and if someone is paid less because maybe they were considered more junior whether or not that's fair that already happened um how do we get them up to up to speed and and support someone so they can be promoted and grow and and celebrate them um and publicly so that they can um reach that equal level um so, yeah, I think it's just like a call for managers for HR to be more conscientious um, about this. We have a lot more control than we think, and if you're a manager, if you're a director, and if you're in tech, typically you're well paid and you're not um, you're not going to be fired for advocating for your staff if you're in a well structured environment, you know you can take those risks. it's on us yeah. to start doing that.
1: I, I completely agree. I, I actually had a really negative experience at the law firm I worked at, where when I came up for my one-year review, I went around and asked the other attorneys what, what they had made. Um, and then went and negotiated for, uh, for my second-year salary and um, was offered a significantly lower one, and he wouldn't rise, raise it. Even when I point-blank said, I know what the other attorneys are making. And this is <laughs> excuse me, this is five thousand dollars less than what my male counterpart was making um and it was it was one of the reasons that I left that firm <laughs> so but yeah, I think it's it's up to hiring managers and it's up to people in the position to make those pay decisions to make sure that the salary bans are enforced and that there is equity across the board um, both male and female. <laughs> it would have been really nice if that partner had said, "Oh really, like." let me fix that, um, so, but such is life.
0: Um, yeah, I think in, in we all get busy and we have other priorities and there's all these re- like legitimate reasons, but um, if, you, if you can't and won't put in the work, then don't claim to be an ally and care about wage gaps and all these things, cause you just don't. And that's okay, like that's not your fight, that's not what you wanna focus on, fine. Um, you know, just don't be the person retweeting every diversity and wage gap thing like if you're not if you have the position to help And, um, you and you're yes. not then like I'm just so annoyed with like you wanting to take me out for coffee or something to talk about diversity I don't care. Um. I get Really really
1: frustrated we uh, As you know, we've been in contact with you about our apprentice program and I have had some really really frustrating experiences where I have had companies they have whole diversity and inclusion programs and yet we get past the first meeting and nobody is willing to talk to me about my program. Like, and they claim to be doing all of these things and they're just not.
0: Um, And so, yeah, I, you, it's kind of crazy with the same thing. I spend a lot of time, you know, out of politeness because it's um, and I also do really want to help people. Yeah. (laughs) Questions about diversity and inclusion, but like, if you have a program that you wanna increase diversity in and you're asking me two weeks before the, the deadline closes, well, guess what? I can't create a pipeline for you. I already manage a diverse pipeline. My The best way to increase diversity is like me focusing on my job. Yeah. Uh, you were, like you should have been working on this six months ago. And if you'd pulled me in at that point, happy to like give you my time, talk about it, share networks. Um, it's just, there's just not, I don't, there's no silver bullet to it. So I can't actually help you two weeks before your deadline. I can help you six months in advance and we can, you know, I, it's just, if it's an afterthought, it's an afterthought. That's why there's no movement. Um, if you plan ahead, there's definitely great ways to, to make strides. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, everyone's busy. Like I I think I don't want to be so judgmental. Uh, I, I know everyone's got their, you know, I care about diversity and inclusion, but I'm not the chief diversity officer at my company. You know, it's not all I spend my time on. Um, You know, I'm I'm working with our instructors, working with our students. There's all these other things. It's just, um, if you care, you have to build in some time, some structures. At the very least, you need to be measuring your numbers so that you know where you can grow. Um, There's very, um, there's small ways that you can start building up towards eventually dedicating a ton of time to it and resources. And I just don't see that enough. A lot of people just like, waste the time of the 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 folks who are really spending a lot of time doing this um (laughs) no i i feel the exact same way and i i also don't
1: want to be judgmental like everybody is busy everybody has their own focus if like diversity and inclusion is not on your radar and not something that that you can put on your plate like totally understandable but again yes don't like decide to do something at the last hour about it it just you can't do this. It's just not going to work that way.
0: <laughs> so, but anyway, second, I'm going to plug in my computer. No, go for it. If you have a question, I'm listening. <laughs> plug in your computer and then I'll give you my next question. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm all good. What
1: do you consider your greatest achievement so far? My personal one? Yeah.
0: That's a big what question. <laughs> do, a, do a personal one and do a program one. Um, so the program one I think is, is easy. We've trained uh, nearly 600 women as software engineers. Um, overwhelming majority of them are already working in the field and have fully transitioned into tech. Now they are, they are software engineers. Um, and then, yeah, and, and that's the biggest accomplishment. Um, and then so the other folks are still in the job search, we're still working with them, but they went through the program, they finished, they succeeded through tears and sweats and a lot of frustration and a lot of failing and getting back up. Um, and of course that achievement, it takes so many people, right? All of our instructors, all of our uh, program managers, the marketing team, the admissions team that encourages people um, to apply when they're, you know, they want to do this, but they're they're not sure they're, they're ready. They don't know if they can, they don't know if they should. Um, so definitely it's not my accomplishment. It's it's a program wide. And this program's been around since 2016, since um, you know, way before I got here. But I think if you ask anyone at Full Stack about the Grace Hopper program, that is our biggest accomplishment. Despite um, you know, despite how hard the tech industry can be, despite how hard software engineering is to teach, you know, it's not an easy subject to translate to folks who are transitioning careers. Um, we've gotten a lot of people at that door and, and ready. Um, so I think that's, that's our biggest accomplishment. Um, and just proving, and actually one more, if you allow me, (laughs) Of um, proving that this concept of deferred tuition works really well and proving that, um, a lot of women are really interested in careers in tech. It's not, um, it's not inherent that women don't like these careers. Um, what we are seeing consistently is that. Um, they tried it in college and had an awful experience where it was very exclusive and um, you know some universities have not um, again not not to blame it's just the way education's structured it's um, the old school model is you know make it really really tough so no one can pass and quotas for people who shouldn't pass um, instead of you know, this is a fast growing field. We need a lot of hands here. We need to have rigorous training, but we can also support people to get there, especially people who are underrepresented. Let's do that. So um, we've proven that there's tons of women who want to do this. We've proven that um, if you are partnering with them financially and on the job search, they will do it and they will be successful. Um, I think it's important. I think we're seeing more and more women-only boot camps crop up around the country and the world. And uh, we're really happy to be among the first to, to do it.
1: That's
0: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what so made you guys decide to do
1: uh,
0: a women-only bootcamp? That's a good question. So um, like I said, I arrived here a year and a half or so ago, but the program started in 2016. Full Stack Academy, um, the, the company that's um, that created this program, um, our founders David uh, Yang and Nimitz Maru um, started Full Stack's bootcamp in 2012. Um, they didn't start Grace Hopper until 2016. Um, and what they'd done at Full Stack is they'd noticed that there, there was a lack of, of women. Not enough women were applying, not enough women were um, accepting the offers when they were getting them to, to start the program. Um, they tried a few things, they tried different scholarship schemes and different incentive models um, within the program, within the applications, uh, the admissions process, and nothing had a massive scalable impact. So um, that's when our founding team um, and our executives at the time. Um, and our career success folks at the time um, did a ton of research and, and really figured out what is what is the thing that is hold, what are some of the things that are most holding this particular demographic back, um, and where can we just as a boot camp make the biggest difference, right? Yeah. Um, and so one of that was finances. Um, you know, it's a really big risk. Scholarships, small scholarships of a couple thousand dollars, aren't enough, um, and also there is a stigma. Um, and, and it's true that the tech isn't always welcoming to women that's um computer science classrooms aren't always welcoming to women so let's create a, a, a this environment that is welcoming to women or um you know full stack academy we have our culture is the same across all programs we try our best to, to keep it welcoming for everyone but um it can just be very jarring to see classrooms that are mostly male right and you're yeah. one of the few so creating this women-only environment um women and non-binary folk environments, um, which is more inviting, um, was a success. And so we, we piloted this project, started it in 2016. Our first class was 16 people. Um, now we have wait lists of folks wanting to get into the programs. Um, so, so yeah, this program uh, was born out of, um, a very real need and, and, um, uh, the commitment from our founders to, to move the needle on this and, um, you know, I think the courage to to take a chance, uh, because as, as you can understand, funding a deferred tuition model, it, it's yeah. a big move. Um, so I think, you know, those are all the the, the different factors that contributed to it. And, and a couple, you know, um, three years later, almost four years later, um, it's we've succeeded. That's amazing. Now your own personal accomplishment. What's <laughs> your favorite personal accomplishment? Um, let's see. Um, I think like most people who come to our bootcamp, I I can relate a lot to, to the folks who come here. Um, you know, I loved my career in nonprofit. I've loved working on education initiatives. Um, but I did want to pivot to tech and it was very scary. Um, even though my job description repeatedly said, you do not need to be technical to be the program director. You're actually just directing a school. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I had a panic attack coming into my interview and everyone at this company, like our our HR was phenomenal. I had great conversations. A friend referred me. I mean, the ideal scenario to go very confidently into an interview, even with everything going well and the team being clearly interested in me and, and making a generous offer. I was so nervous. I nearly had a panic and I, I'm not super anxious. Um, I typically take things, um, uh, in stride uh you know I just freaked out so much the day of my interview. I almost canceled my final interview because I was like there's just no way I can do it there's no way they actually want me um and I almost didn't take this this in the crazy great opportunity that now i'm I'm like the role was designed for me and all of my interests and skills but um I think that's been one of the biggest cases where I had an, an imposter syndrome. I was very focused on tech and i um I almost didn't have this job even though I was literally in the final interview and and among the favorites so um, I think that was a a very big recent accomplishment, and it's nice to be able to share that story with students and folks who are coming into into the program because if my imposter syndrome. um, When I'm being told I don't need the tech skills is has was that big I can't imagine for folks who are being tested on their tech skills to come in and they're coming from a different background so that's one of the, the the most salient accomplishments of the last few years that I'm I'm excited about and In hindsight, it, it's great that I was able to feel firsthand. That's that syndrome that <laughs> To to really relate to students because it's um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for for um, Our folks who are Curious really passionate about tech enjoying themselves coding its night and uh, on their own and then really scared to apply
1: Yeah, no, I i I do marketing and operations. And when I was first offered this job, I was, I felt the same way too, because I was like, I, I don't know anything about tech, like, that's not entirely true. But like, I I didn't know, I just didn't know very much. And I wasn't sure how I was going to function in a role that was so in a company that was so heavily technical. I mean, we're, we're a tech consultancy, like that's, that's what we do. And so um, I definitely have that. And even my husband, who's a programmer at Google, like for 10 years, he still has these moments where he walks into a room and he's like, you know, I can only know so many different things and there's so much out there to learn. And he's like, you know, 10 people in the room know way more about this particular subject than I do. So it's, imposter syndrome is very real. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think we have to celebrate the moments when we overcome it. And- yes. You know, celebrate the moments when we don't overcome it and just like learn from them. So we don't do it again. Um, but I think those are always big accomplishments for people because um, they can be pretty life changing.
1: I, I completely agree. <laughs> um, do you, let's see. Um, do you go to many conferences. Have you had the experience of dealing with diversity and inclusion at conferences, I guess. I don't know how you recruit exactly, but how how do you deal with that in like in conferences or recruiting and things like that?
0: Well, that's a um, big question and it's kind of timely. The Grace Hopper Celebration by the Anita Borg Institute is happening this week, which or this and next week, which is really cool, right? They're the world's largest gathering of technologists. I got to go last year, this year we're a little too busy, so I, I couldn't go, but um, that was really cool. Again, I really like, uh, um, women plus environments I think they're pretty special because they they just don't happen um, as often in in corporate Um, so that was a pretty special program it was really cool to see you know hundreds of companies recruiting um, and and just trying to get their name out and exposing themselves to all these women in tech or women who want to get into tech Um, even at this conference I remember just talking to students or or applicants to computer science students and and again, some of the same challenges coming up and up again, and it was it is really cool. I think the, the benefits of um, having these women plus environments is that um, people can be a little bit more vulnerable about where they are. They can find mentorship a bit quicker and, and build more, more quickly build very strong bonds and relationships that will help them professionally because the wall is down, right? You're not yeah. trying to seem confident. You are just telling people where you're at and where you need help. Um, so I think it's been really fun to go to conferences like that. The uh, um, Lesbians Who Tech has a summit in New York and SF. And they're, they're also a massive network for um, the LGBTQ plus community and allies. Um, they have a massive career fair where you see tons of companies, again, um, sending the best and brightest from the HR team and, and finding diverse folks to, to represent there and, and help recruit. And, um, you know, they're becoming the faces, they are the face of their companies to potential um new developers from non-traditional yes. backgrounds so that's been really great that's another one that i'd, I'd highly recommend for um, recruiting engineers into your company or finding um or really nurturing new tech talent from the beginning um that one's a ton of fun and you we ourselves put on a lot of events um both to introduce people into tech or just for like the general population. Actually on Friday, we're working with women.nyc, which is the New York City's local government initiative for women um, to get ahead in New York. And it's a salary negotiation um, session. It's not nothing to do with tech. We're just partnering because we are aligned about um, women um, getting ahead. Yes. Um, but so though, I, I think for me, these um, these very sectioned off, uh, like niche conferences are always a great, great thing, whatever. It's it just, um, I think so much of our success in tech or in any industry is based on relationships, on community, um, and it's nice to, at these conferences you can really build that. All conferences are great to go to, but I think uh, if you have a particular interest or identity and you can find a group that hosts conferences, Um, that's going to be your best bet for, for building relationships to help you get that, that job in tech or help you find a mentor in tech or, or whatever the case is.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's always nice to be able to see somebody that is like you in, in the position that you want to be in, right? Because it gives you that idea that you too can do this thing.
0: Yeah. And just now that you know, I'm on the other side, not the job seeker, um, companies are desperately looking for talent yeah really really eager to you know they don't always do the right thing or know what the right thing is but they're eager to get um more people from diverse backgrounds um and and so it's it's just it's it's exciting it's it's good i feel like there's never been a better time to be a woman in tech i'm not saying it's the perfect time or great (laughs) It's just one of the better times yeah. <laughs> we've had um, in the field, and um, I don't know. I think we should we should be encouraged by it and just uh, hopeful. Yeah, um, And it is not perfect, not by okay. any stretch of the imagination. But um, our four mothers have built up and done a lot to get us yeah. in the mood and and um, it's really cool. It's really cool. And on that, what would
1: what advice if you got to talk to a company to tell them how? to get more a more diverse talent pool what would you tell them
0: to do well i mean this is it's hypocritical i think it's something we struggle with at, at grace hopper and full stack as well um it is really hard it's why i feel for companies because you're so busy that's um you know best practices go out the window when you are busy and overworked and tired and like just trying to focus on the students you have at that moment but i think um something we i started doing when, when i started working here was making sure we're measuring our um just identifying the different uh demographics and different underrepresented folks we have served and how we're serving them and, and how many um i think that's the first step if you can tell your um if you can at least tell your team like this is where we're lacking it's not just what you're seeing because when you look at it and you see two or three hispanic people in a court of 40 people you think oh we're doing great like we have some diversity I mean, yeah, <laughs> but <See those> <laughs> like that's, not, that's not parody, right? Like we need yeah. to be credible. So start measuring it um, across the board so you can present a very cogent case for how you are not diverse and how you can improve it and how you can start drawing up a plan. I think the easiest thing to do is start measuring. Um, once you've started measuring, you know, I think whether you're big or small, whatever your budget is, you can always start chipping away at it, right? right. Um, we have these great things built into the calendar year like black heritage um, black history month hispanic heritage month like plan ahead um these months are great times where we could set aside some time as a team to think about strategies um have marketing campaigns that, that targets um individuals also celebrate the folks who have on on your teams who, who come from diverse backgrounds and, and find time to mentor and support them um all of these are hard again when we're all pressed for time and running wild and you barely know what you're doing in your career and you've lost a teammate i mean there's just all these life happens but um uh you can start measuring you can start talking to people you can celebrate people when they do great work and if they don't you can give them feedback so that they grow and and that's a great way to help um mentor and grow and keep the diverse folks at your company Um, I think as well, just listening. Of course, always. I think I get asked a lot about how to fix diversity and inclusion, and then no one actually listens. Or that like, yeah. people will just come and share their ideas and ask me to go to panels and things. And I'm like, cool, but like, um, you're putting all the work on me again. And like, now I'm tired and I don't want to do this. Um, you know, we could partner. You could listen. You can um, uh, be an ally and start coming to things and just listening for a while. Like, just go to go to a, a Black Girls Tech or a, a black Rose code or a Latinas in tech or a lesbians who tech conference, listen, uh, build relationships with people, build friendships. Um, I mean, you can start very little. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this radical. I think sometimes allies' um, mistake is that they think they are the ones who are gonna solve everything. You're not. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate to tell you this. <laughs> um, what you can do is become, you know, diverse, like at the lowest level possible, the lowest effort, way to change is like have friends who are diverse in your network, like start paying attention to that because you're gonna learn a ton. You're gonna have then opportunities to amplify voices, to, um, uh, you know, uh, educate others once you're educated yourself. Um, And then, uh, you know, I think little by little, um, that's at a a low level, right? If you're an associate, if you're just starting and you're excited, but you don't know where to start and you're an ally, this is what allyship can look like Um, Mm -hmm. at the higher levels, of course. directors, hiring managers, executives, have a lot more power um, and can really pivot and, and make a difference here. Um, uh, but you have to devote like dedicated time to it. Again, it can't be an afterthought. Um, as an afterthought, you will get one or two people who are diverse, but if you're not, if you don't have a plan for it, um, you're not onboarding properly, if you're not supporting, if you're not paying adequately, um, if it, if you don't have an interesting company to work in, like an, an interesting um, talent pool and, and um, opportunities, then I mean, you're just not going to retain either. It's not just about getting people in. Once you have them, you got to keep them. Here. You got to keep them. Yeah. Well, and that that's the other half of
1: the battle, right? It's not just recruiting talent, but it's then Helping them feel comfortable enough that they can contribute and that they want to stay too, right? Like not pushing them out because whatever reason.
0: Yeah, I oftentimes think, you know, if you help a lot of the same things that keep any employee happy will, will um, translate to an, an employee who's from a diverse background, but, um, you know, making sure someone is learning and growing and that you're supporting that goes a long way. Um, and that can be done for anyone. <laughs> That's a strategy yeah. to keep all great talent, but um, especially if you're really interested in moving the needle in diversity.
1: I agree. And to end on a fun, interesting thing, what's one
0: fun, crazy fact about you? Oh, um, a crazy fun, f- oh gosh. You know, we ask, I get asked this all the time. We do it and uh, we ask our students this all the time. It's a fun and icebreaker,
1: also, isn't it? Here, I'll share, I'll,
0: share, I'll share my go-to okay. one. Yeah and
1: is that I actually grew up in rural Texas. Um and I grew up on a small farm. We had goats and chickens and um yeah, I like pounded T posts and like uh, I was one of three girls, so there were no boys to do the hard labor in my family. So I did a right. lot of
0: hard work growing up. <laughs> I'm glad you got to reverse gender roles from I did, started. yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So okay, I'll share a related one then. Um, so I'm a born and mostly raised New Yorker, um, but the time I wasn't living in New York when I was a kid it was in Ecuador. That's where my family's from. So I grew up in a very small city, but right at the outer parts, like at the suburb right next to all the farms. And so I also got to run around with chickens and pigs and horses and climb trees. And um, I did not do much labor. I've not been ever very excited by hard labor, but <laughs> um I definitely feel a very, very strong connection to nature, to animals. Um uh I like living in New York, it's convenient, it's fun, there's all these things, but I am consistently trying to escape it as well. So um it's this back and forth of like, Can I leave the city this weekend to go to nature? Yes. Um, and then not wanting to come back. Yeah. <laughs> because it's We so- were uh my husband and I were in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago for a wedding
1: and um we don't we don't we're in california so we don't we don't go east all that often and i i was struck by like how little nature there is in like new york um in san francisco and like around us like they do I mean, it's still urban, but they do a pretty good job of like there's trees and stuff. And so I was kind of struck by the, by the difference. So, but we also, my husband and I have the same conversation all the time. And actually we, we won this weekend. My sister is going to take the kids and we're going to go uh, backpacking for the weekend. So
0: that's awesome. And that's, that's somewhere where I'm hoping like architecture of the future is a lot more tech focused, but also. Like in, in tech efficient ways, like we can have more trees, we can have solar panels, we can we can bring in more nature, we can grow plants indoors. I mean, tech allows us to do all these things, like let's start doing them in mass because humans are not happy without nature.
1: No, I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a much happier person if I had seen trees lately.
0: <laughs> I'm happy just seeing the tree behind you.
1: Oh, I have redwoods actually behind. We have a little campsite in our backyard. This is how much my husband and I love nature. And we have three redwoods out there. So that's
0: amazing.
1: Yeah, we love it. So <laughs> anyway, other random facts about me. Thank you
0: so much. This was so much fun.
1: I so enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Um, and I just want to give a shout out and thank you to this.labs, who's our sponsor for our Vampire podcast. Um, we're a tech consultancy. And if anybody needs help, please give us a shout out. We'd love to help. And thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on and chatting with me. I thank so appreciate you. it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you. a good one. Bye,
0: Eva. Thank you for listening to the Vampire Podcast. Find us on our website at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Or follow us on Twitter at this.media. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T-M-E-D-I-A. <music>